Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Whiskey and Whitetails, the show for those that hunt with a passion and drink with a purpose. As always, I'm Gus, and like last week, I'm recording this intro alone as we dip into our archives for the second week. Uh, thank you to our Patreon for their loyal support. Thanks to the Waypoint Network for hosting us, and thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing, commenting, and all the other ways that you show us support don't forget to use code podcast at whiskeyandwhitetails.com to save 20% on all your orders. As mentioned last week, we're taking a break to concentrate on some other Whiskey and Whitetails endeavors as well as prepare for the Whitetail season opener. As of the day this is published, the season starts tomorrow for us and we have some fun stuff planned for opening week and we are looking forward to sharing that with you all. But until then, please enjoy this episode as we revisit the very first podcast interview we did with Hunter, wildlife photographer, Whiskey and Whitetails podcast executive producer and good friend, Dom Gatto. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 14. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Gus. And today's guest is Dom Gatto from Dom Gatto Photo. Uh, before we get into the woods, Dom, what are you drinking on? I got single barrel 1792. Oh, very good. Very nice good. Yeah, man. For us, this episode, this is our first time having this for either one of us. So our first, um, I'm cracking the label here. So this episode is powered by Smooth Ambler, the weeded. Uh, so we'll get a nice little bottle pop. Maybe. Sometime today. Jeez. This thing's on here. <laughs> here we go. Ah, that's a pretty good one. Good one. Cool. All right. So we'll give this a sip. Um, we also want to hand our discount code in the beginning instead of the end this time. So use code podcast at checkout and you will receive 20% off everything on our site. Other small note, we're doing a silent pre-order on hats. If you want a hat, shoot us an email, info at whiskeyandwhitetails.com. Uh, it's an experimental brand. They look just like the Richardson 512, but they're a lot cheaper. And we will ship you one for $20. That basically covers the hat and the shipping. And we want your feedback on if this is a good hat or not. So wear it, use it. Um, and then once we get your feedback, we will hook you up on whatever the production hat ends up being. We also need to make a redaction on two things. One... 
The post office, Gus. Oh yeah. So we <laughs> we had some trouble during the uh, during the holiday season with uh, shipping. As if you do a little research, uh, as did most of the country, uh, trying to ship anything. And I may have made a joke about a uh, a nice gentleman at our local post office, uh, potentially being the, the reason why those packages were going missing. Uh, it was meant to be funny. In hindsight, uh, it was kind of insensitive and did not realize or really think that our podcast would have reached this gentleman. Uh, he heard that. He heard that. So I want to personally apologize for, for the joke that we made. And so Matt, that is, uh, that's Gus, my business partner. I am Matt, as you know, the guy that I see you every day. So <laughs> it was a joke. Uh, we didn't mean it the way it came off, but I wanted to make a redaction there on that. Um, he didn't say anything about it. He just mentioned that he listened to the podcast and I wanted to, uh, put that out there. Yeah. So that's secondly, <laughs> I learned this one on my own. This was not a a call out. No one said anything to me. And I've been saying this for months now. Um, the three B's of, or the ABC's of bourbon. One of them is the proof in which the bourbon enters the barrel. I did not, uh, I've been saying it wrong. So 125 it has to enter the barrel no higher than 125. So when I've been saying that these 130 proof bourbons are not bourbons, but now whiskeys, they still are bourbons. They go up in proof in the barrel sometimes. So we make mistakes. These things happen. Um, I learned it through a bottle of 132 proof EHT, which I Googled and was like, how's 132 for Colonel Taylor still bourbon? Then I realized I was an idiot. So <laughs> there's that. <clears throat> but anyway, Dom, so that 1792, take a sip. Tell us what you think. Tell you what, first of all, listen to the podcast the other day. I want to do my own little bottle pop for you. Do it, man. There you go. Oh, nice. Oh, all right. Let's pull her over. Mm, this weeded is very weeded. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming on here with us. Thanks for having me. I actually never did um, any kind of podcast like this before, but I started listening to you guys. It's just awesome stuff. And what's not to like about whiskey and whitetails? <laughs> for sure. For sure. Glad to hear you listen. Um, yeah, we've been doing a lot of first-timers podcasts. I think that's kind of our mantra. We like to do people that uh, have a story to tell and know where to tell it. And um, mm -hmm. you have been – so when we first met – on the Instagrams, it was through uh, some of your photography, and I was immediately fired up by it and started using it on Instagram and Facebook and just kind of reposting and promoting stuff. And um, you have grown a ton since exponentially. Then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, really been taken off like crazy. And I wish there was like a secret method as to how it really went down, but it was all just you know. Be consistent, post a picture out there. Everyone everyone likes deer and they got a lot of hunters following, a lot of, you know, guys like you who are, you know, into deer, into the outdoors, into hunting, stuff like that. And it just kind of really grew fast. It's been like a couple of months. I went from like 3,000 followers. Now I just hit 7,500 this week. It's, it's insane. That's crazy growth. And you've been doing a lot on um, not just Instagram, but also on, uh, I almost said Tinder, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't count Tinder up. No, no. There's probably some good doe photos on Tinder that would do well. <laughs> but yeah, you've been killing it on TikTok. Tell us about that. Uh, TikTok, I really don't know how to get into it. And uh, it's funny enough, a lot of people started doing TikTok first, then went to Instagram Reels, kind of seeing how TikTok blew up for everybody. I was the opposite. I started doing Reels first because I was only on one platform other than Facebook, but I was on one real platform posting all my stuff, and that was Instagram. So... 
I saw another video someone post, um, another wildlife photographer, the name escapes me right now, but he posted a video of him sitting there with his camera and his phone was behind his camera and showing the shot he was about to take. And then it showed the after. And I was like, I could do that. Why don't I try it? And I think the first time I really did that, it didn't really go anywhere. It was like the third or fourth rendition of that kind of format. It hit like 130,000 views in nice. a matter of a couple of days. It was insane. And ever since then, it's been consistently getting traction on TikTok. They have like over 5,000 TikTok followers in like a month on there. That's wild. Compared to like Instagram, it's a ridiculous growth on that platform. Yeah. So the one word, the one word I keep hearing you say is consistency. Would you say that's been your key with the social media platforms is just posting consistently? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I went out and started really posting things probably back in October. That's when I really started to, you know, want to grow the account and want to change up what I was doing and didn't want to be like posting random things. I wanted to niche down to one specific subject and that was wildlife photography which then went more into like deer and then now it's more generally into game like hunting and stuff like that yeah but i post pretty much every day there's something on there there was a point where i was posting every other day because there was a couple of weeks i couldn't get into the woods but things going on in life it happens sure and i knew i would need x amount of posts to go stretch out over these next couple of weeks so i'll post every other day but it was always being on the platform was always interacting with people with content to, you know, always just making yourself visible on the platform. It takes work. Yeah, of thinks they're going to post something up and, you know, they're not going to get automatic views. It takes work. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It takes a long time. The, the video you just did with the, uh, it had like a shotgun sound and then like the camera click. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Cause it's like a hunting video, but instead of shooting a gun and shooting a camera. And I think yeah. you should, I really like that. Uh, I don't know if you've done that before or not. But that one that I specifically saw, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I actually have not done that before. And you're the third person to reach out and say that exact thing to me. Well, there you go. They, start doing it more often. They say uh, every, what, what is it, Gus? Every every one person that says something, there's like thousands of people that feel that way. Oh, yeah. Something like that. I don't remember the number, but it's it's every one person that reaches out. There's like 500 or 1,000 standing behind them that, that think the same thing. Same thing. Awesome. I think the same thing in school, you know. If you have a question, there's a good chance half the class has the same question. They just don't want to ask it. Yeah, for sure. So you've been... Makes perfect sense. So now that you have um, the child on the way, have you been stockpiling stuff for... Because you're for sure going to be stuck at home for a while, right? Oh, yeah. I have plenty of stuff, even from last season still, just kind of standing by. Now, most of my big buck photos, they're out there. They're... I, I'm... I'm consistent. I'm good with it, but I'm anxious. When I, when I get a really good photo, I want to show people and I'm not going sure. to on to the really good ones. I just want to put it out there. And that's kind of been my thing, but I have a lot of, a uh, ton of dough. I have a ton of good dough pictures. I put one out the other day that I was surprised at how well it did because usually dough do less than like a big buck does, but people like the actual photographs. So it was nice knowing that I could post stuff like that and people would still enjoy it. But um, I'm also going to have the opportunity while the kid is here to uh there's a good area with turkey near me i can still go to that aren't, isn't far and it's kind of a sure thing so i know i'll be able to get out there for like an hour and get that done and you know worry about it later if i get like one or two or three shots out of that you know I'm, I'm, that's still a couple of days worth of content especially if i change back to posting every other day that's a week sure you know? right. so i'm kind of spacing it out more in the next week or two after the baby gets here and then 
you know, we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes from there. And hopefully, uh, you know, I can pick everything back up again, but I'll always keep posting stuff no matter what, even if I take old stuff and re-edit it with a new look or a new kind of twist on an old photo I took where then I thought it looked perfect. And now I look back at it and I have a new method. Sure. I'll put that out there and see how people like it. It's, you could always reuse content. So before we get into like whitetail specific stuff, let's talk about the photography. Um, and we'll talk about how you got into it, but where you're at currently, you, I like that you post a picture and then the second slide, you put the settings. Is there a reason that you do that? Are you sharing or what, what is the reason behind that? Uh, I'd like to put it out there because the majority of the messages I get is not really about the deer or about hunting or about, you know, wildlife. It's all about what kind of camera you're using, what settings are you using. It's a lot of amateur photographers that are kind of reaching out to me to see how can they do what I'm doing. Yeah. Sure. And my answer to them is always the fundamentals. You know, you have to understand your shutter speed, your aperture, and your ISO. That's it. That That's your baseline. And from there, it's all about, you know, framing, composition, all the little nuances of photography. But I always like to put that in the second slide because I've gotten good feedback. And like you guys said before, one person sends you a message about something, you keep doing it. I kind of had that same mindset because everyone kept sending me messages saying, hey, what settings are you using for these photos? You know? Yeah. That stops them from setting it. Well, let me ask you this. So <laughs> for... When you put these settings, when you're like, this is the setting that I used, you then throw it in Lightroom and start editing, which essentially changes all of those settings. So is that ever anything that people bring up and they're like, okay, I see that you use these settings, but you could fix it in post. Um, is there anything that you would change? Like when you post a picture and you have these settings, maybe I should have backed down the ISO or, or, or up you know, the shutter speed or something like that. Um, does that conversation ever come up or it's always amateurs, like you said? No, it does. I've had other photographers that are like better than me and that have reached out to me and asked me certain things about the pictures I was taking. And we did talk settings and did talk about, you know, what was the editing process? Because I like to make my shots unique. I don't want them to be straight out of the camera. A lot of guys like them to be natural. I like to add that kind of flair to them. That's my thing. And they'll ask me about my editing process and I'll show them the raw photos most of the time. And it's a drastic change for a lot of it from mm -hmm. where it came out of the camera to where it is. And it could be could it be accomplished in camera? Probably not. There's a lot of color grading that goes on. There's a lot of contrast adjustment, curve adjustment, exposure adjustment. The only thing that I learned over time, which was from other photographers that are better than me, is to stop shooting underexposed. Because I used to shoot underexposed to keep the ISO low. Right. That way there was less noise. And the problem with that is you wash out your contrast horribly. And it's really hard to recover from, even with the post-processing. And... If you look back at some of my stuff from like November-ish, like that area where I was still, you know, getting better at it, but not really at the whole editing aspect of everything, you'll notice a drastic change from November to December to January to now, where the photos are now looking just that much more crisp with more of a pop, with more of that perfect contrast that was done in camera rather than done later. Yeah, it's a lot easier to back down some of those things than it is to add them later. Because once the light, if you remove the light, there's there's no light to add back. But you can always exactly. dial back some light. Um, the I call it dehaze because I use it on bottles. Um, bottles are shiny, so they're difficult to take pictures of. But I'll, I'll use the dehaze feature, and it creates almost like this. Um, I don't know how to describe it. Like if you were to draw a box in PowerPoint and make it black and then transparent and it kind of puts sunshades on it. I noticed that a lot of your pictures kind of have that same um, tint, if you will, where it's kind of a darker picture. How are you doing that? A combination of things? Yeah, I think the main way I'm doing that is I'm, it's not so much in the dehaze panel on Lightroom. It's more of a, 
I bring the shadows down the curbs just underneath, mm, bring the yep. highlights up a little bit just to give that extra contrast in between. And what gives it that kind of hazy look to it, a little dark fade, is I'll bring the absolute black in the curve up slightly so that there is most of the time no absolute black in the photo whatsoever. So anything you're seeing is a darker shade of gray, but your eyes really don't adjust to it that way. You just kind of see that hazed effect. It almost looks like film. And that's uh, that's kind of how that effect is achieved. And that's mainly what I do with a lot of the shots I get. But I learned I couldn't really do that with certain things like turkey. Can't do that with turkey because right. turkey have like pure black feathers. Yeah, right. But it works really well for deer because, you know, all the black they have on them is like a little bit in their nose, some of their ears, you know. So it actually gives a nice little effect to the backgrounds. I do that with um, with video. So the cinematic look everyone everyone looks for. It's easy to do in video. It's simple settings. Um but it's kind of hard to duplicate in pictures, you know, for multiple reasons. But um, whenever, yeah. whenever you, um, whenever you take a picture, just straight, you know, before and and you're you're still in the field. Have you gotten to a point where, based on how well you understand your camera and your you know your process for for editing, can do you kind of have in your mind what that picture is going to end up looking like or what you want oh, to do with it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The, the second I take that photo, I already know it's going to come out. Too. Yeah. Cause I've, I've met other photographers that are very, um, they take a bunch of pictures and then they just play with it to see what they end up liking and they don't always know what it's going to end up like. But I, I feel like that would, that would be overwhelming for me to, to not have some idea where I was going with the shot and just be shooting things blind, you know, blindly more or less. Yeah. And that was a big reason I kind of started making those presets because I always had, it was a long process. The, the way you spoke about it just now about, you know, going through not knowing what you were going to get in the end. I did that a lot in the beginning mm -hmm. and I did that a lot over time. And eventually I found that look that I wanted for all of my photos. And I started going back to old photos and editing them the same way. And I realized it worked across the board. So at that point, it's like, and now that I'm looking at it that way where I know exactly what each of these settings is going to do, mm -hmm. I already have an idea in my head of I need this kind of light. I need this kind of, you know, aperture going on. I need, I need this kind of uh, sunlight coming through. I need them to be in the shade. I need them to be by a tree that gives a little more darker pop to the side. I, I need to yeah. frame them this certain way because then in the end, I already know when I edit it and when I bring these shadows down, that tree bark is going to just look awesome right yeah. next to the deer. Like that, that's the kind of stuff I'm always thinking about now. It wasn't the stuff I was thinking about then. Sure, but sure. Yeah, but I'm that's, that's, that's the difference now. between, you know, just taking pictures and composing a shot, right? Like you you actually, you know exactly what lighting you you want or you need um, and, and given whatever, whatever, you know, Mother Nature's giving you that day, you know what you need to do to, to reach the, the end goal that you want. Um, and and I I wanted to give you what's that? It's a lot of prep work sometimes. Oh, I, I can, yeah, I can imagine. Um, and and I want to I want to ask some questions in a little while. Kind of how your how how you your approach to photography is the same or differs from uh, how your approach might be. You know, heading into hunt with a rifle versus a camera or a bow or whatever the case may be. But before we get into any of that, I, I wanted to uh, you know, so I, I wanted to give you just a verbal kind of I don't know props or, 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 you know, extend a thank you on behalf of everyone for adding the presets and the stuff that you do uh, on that second slide of your photos, because I've seen others do it, but not very many do. And earlier in, in this process of us sort of exploring photography, um, and Matt does the lion's share of, of all the photography, just because we kind of have to split up the things we're doing. 
But when we had another company, and I can, I can recall reaching out, asking questions about lenses and settings, and people will just straight up leave you, you know, just ignore you. I think they feel threatened. Leave you on red. Leave you on red. <laughs> they feel, you know, threatened, like you're trying to, you know, move in on their... I mean, I just, I just want to know how you took that amazing picture of that duck, you know, six inches off the water. You know, I just, I just want to know how, how you were able to do that. I'm not, like, I'm not going to steal it and then... You know what I mean? Like, I just... It's just conversation, um, and, and you know, of the dozens of times I asked people, I think I can count on one hand the amount of times I got a response. So, uh, you know, pr- props to you for for being willing to share that information and uh, make a community make a community out of it. And what's crazy about that too yeah, is you. people getting upset, like don't want to respond to it. What's crazy about that is that that's the easy part, setting up the camera. The hard part is oh, yeah. how many hours you spend early mornings and days and. You'll like, especially those duck pictures, guys are sitting in the water for who knows how long waiting for something to come in like that. I would just immediately be like, sure, here's the settings. Good luck. Because I know, I know that it's not, (laughs) most people don't have access to the property to do it. Um, Before we get off the camera thing, I wanted to ask about framing. Do you frame each shot with the intention of that being final framing or do you not really worry about it and frame it in post? If I can frame it, 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 rule of thumb. And there's something that right, I learned right. from another photographer who it resonated with me when he told me this. He said, the more you do in the camera, the less you'll have to do out of the camera. True. And it's very true. You know, the more you're doing, the more work you're doing in that camera that you don't have to do later in post, the better that shot's going to be. So that the, being said, when it comes to wildlife, you don't have time. Right. You don't have a <laughs> That was where I was going. Sometimes <laughs> they just pop out and you're like, oh, well, I need him to stand over there. Well, too bad because <laughs> so, he's not going to go stand over there. So you do as best as you can with the framing, but a lot of them end up, you know, you have to crop them down. You lose some of your resolution because of it, but the final product is what's important. So, so the rule of thirds, are there any other things that you stick to um, as far as like what's going through? I, I equate it to shooting it like in the military, learning to shoot an M4. So there's, there's things you go through before you pull the trigger and you do it enough times and it becomes muscle memory. So it's like sight picture, slow your breathing, you know, make sure you're in a steady shooting position, all these things. Do you have like a set, like, this is what I make sure every time before I push the button, like I want to do the rule of thirds. I want to make sure the sun's not blowing out the image. You know, do you have any of that in your mind? Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things that always go through my mind. One is you may have your settings dialed in when you're out there, but that doesn't mean those are going to be the settings you're going to use when an animal shows up because you can't predict how the light is going to really hit that animal as compared to say, usually when I get out there, I'll meter my lighting off of a tree in the area that's in the sun. I'll meter my lighting off of a tree that's in the shadow. That gives me a general idea of how much light I have, right? But a deer walks out there reflecting that light differently. I may have to bring the shutter speed down. I might have to bump the ISO up. I may have to make small adjustments on the fly where, you know, you just have to have that muscle memory of changing those settings without thinking about them. When I first really got into photograph and wildlife where you had to make those split second decisions, I can't tell you how many shots I missed because I was taking them. I'd look at it later and be like, oh God, this is too bright or it's too dark or I can't save it. Or, you know, it's, it, it just really messes with your head after a while. And uh, yeah, you have to really have that kind of, background in doing it the more you do it the better you get at it same as shootings it's a perishable skill you know you have to have that set up beforehand where you're ready to change things on the fly so before we get into actual whitetail stuff is there anything that you want to talk about for camera settings well specifically any lessons that you want to teach anybody like my, my lesson is always learn your camera learn your settings and use your shortcuts because every camera has shortcuts 
And if you leave everything that you need inside the menu, you'll never find it. Um, do you have any advice for anybody just on the camera stuff to close out the camera thing before we get into actual whitetail stuff? Sure. Um, well, you probably said it best, know your camera. The only way you could really learn how to use the camera, you could watch a million YouTube videos, you could read a bunch of books, you can sit there and switch around settings on it and just look at the back of the screen, but you're not going to learn exactly how things come out until you actually use it thousands of times. Yeah. Because you're going to find something new every single time. And you'll be like, huh, what if I bring the shutter speed up? Or what if I change this setting? What if I'm using spot metering instead of matrix metering? Like if you're changing one of these little settings, it changes the entire picture. Sure. It changes everything you could do with it later. So yeah. it's all about just get out there and do it. You will learn as you go. It's yeah. nothing that anyone can't do. And it's, I've, I've, for, you know, a little bit I've played around with, we both have the same camera. Um, and what my, my wife quickly took, took over the, the camera in my household. But what little bit I've been able to, to figure out is whatever article you read about that particular setting, uh, or whatever video you watch, those people are generally not taking the type of photographs or targeting the same kind of thing you are. So however it is they describe that setting, it's going to have a different effect on what you're doing anyways. Um, oh, yeah. And, and the, the end, the end result is going to be different. So you have to play with it. You got to put your hands on it and, and just get time behind the camera. Yeah, you got to be adaptable. That's what it comes down to. You have yeah. to learn what it does and what to change when, and eventually yeah. it'll just become a, a quick flip of the finger and you're increasing what you need to increase in your settings automatically without even thinking about it. Right, right. So correct me if I'm wrong, you started out as a hunter, right? And so there was a transition time where you went from maybe filming hunts or you were like, hey, let me take a camera with me, and then eventually the rifle stayed at home and it was all camera. No, it was more like um, I would never really film hunts because I always felt like it was too much to do. Oh, it is. And I was doing photography as like a side thing or a local job or stuff like that. And eventually I thought, you know, in my off time when I wasn't hunting or I was tagged out or something like that, and I wanted to get back out in the woods and yeah. I'll bring the camera with me. Why not? Right. And it kind of just grew on me. Okay. You got to be passionate about it. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so the place you film, is that a place you can hunt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it public, private, yours? Uh, there's a couple of um, private spots out here where they're not really, it's not like high fenced or anything, but it's, you know, other neighbors' land and stuff like that. And let me go on to it as long as I'm not actually hunting their land. They don't care because they know what I do, so they don't really mind. But, um, yeah, most of the stuff I do is just on public land because it's easier. It's just a lot of walking, tracking, and, you know, setting up and seeing what happens. A lot of days with nothing, like any day of hunting on public land, a lot of days with nothing. You know, okay. I just had a great business idea that you could do. If I owned property and I didn't want anyone to hunt it, but I'm too lazy to get out there and explore it, say I'm old or disabled or whatever, I could pay you to come in and explore it and find out where the deer are, find the tracks, find the things, and then you're out there the whole time making content for your um, for your channel and your page and everything. You should look into that. That's actually not a terrible idea at all. Yeah, you should look into that because I, I, we know we know a lot of people that, that own property that they won't allow people to hunt or they only allow certain people to hunt. For instance, one of the farms here is massive. Um, it's one of the oldest farms in South Carolina, and they don't allow anyone to hunt on it. We know one person, which is an associate of the company. I don't know how to describe him, but he, um, he is the only one that's allowed to hunt there. It's uh, Legree Farms. Mm. I know the sole hunter of that property and 
I bet you if I were to go to them and say, hey, I don't want to hunt. I just want to take pictures. They would let me go out there and take pictures all day long, but you would be able to explore it and be like, this is a good place for a stand. I saw a bunch of deer, saw a bunch of movement here. Um, but they also have wildebeest, or not wildebeest. What are those giant bull, uh, water buffalo? Uh-huh. They have water buffalo out there, so oh, wow. you got to be careful. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's nasty. He's told me some crazy stories about being in a tree stand and, and it's dark and there's a water buffalo sitting below him snorting. And he's like, well, I guess I'm here for a while. <laughs> I guess I'm sleeping in the tree tonight. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, there's a guy out in Texas I'm talking to right now. I'm not going to mention his name. I don't know if he wants to be on or not or off about this. But um, he we were you know connected on Instagram kind of like you, you and I did. And we were talking about deer and stuff. He owns a uh, ranch out there. Uh, that he does hunts on and uh, he asked me come out there probably later this year to uh, do some photographs of the deer he does photography himself and that's kind of how we got connected and uh, you know we were talking lenses and settings and you know like the dms we were talking about before were going on and uh, he wants me to come down there fly out and hang out for a couple days and you know take photos of all the deer and i was asking him um you know well what's this going to cost what's going to charge you need the rights to the photos whatever and we kind of worked it out where he gets the rights to use the photos for his advertising or pitching it to people who want to film hunts on his land stuff like that and i get to keep all the rights for you know sales commercial licensing prints things like that awesome it's a very beneficial relationship that i'm looking to do with more uh, outfitters hopefully ones that are a little more local than texas but <laughs> that's it's really a cool thing is the one in texas a ranch i'm sure it is a ranch yeah it's a ranch is it a high fence or is it that I'm not sure. I think it might be a high fence. Because there's two places in Texas that we both have like man crushes on. One is the Los Reyes. Reyes. If yeah, it's, I was going to say Los Reyes and Trinity. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> those are some bet. It's neither of those. No, it's the uh, that sucks. No. Well, I mean, they take great pictures anyway, so I, I didn't think it would be. I was about to offer to to carry your bags yeah, and your lenses. You. And, uh. Yeah, I'll be your camera bag, man, for uh, Los Reyes. There's another one out there, uh, Triple Drop Ranch. He's a, yeah, I like tri- we follow Triple Drop, yep. yep. Yeah, he's a, good, he's a good dude, too. I was talking to him the other day. Yeah, the guy who does Triple Drop Ranch. He has some great photos out there. So right now you're focusing mainly on selling prints online, or do you offer services locally, I do like weddings locally. and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I do that kind of stuff locally. That's you know just pay the bills, and I'd like the uh, wildlife to take over and become. Once that becomes the higher source of income, then I'll just start doing it full time. That's sure. the main plan down the line. But um, for now, it's just print sales. I commercially license some of my stuff to a few different hunting brands. That's in the works right now, which is nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really kind of grown quickly so i had to reach out to other photographers and ask them what the hell do i do right now because people are offering contracts and stuff and i don't know if i'm getting undercut or not i don't nothing about the business of this and uh, i was thankfully I, I met and talked to a bunch of guys that knew what they were talking about and didn't get myself screwed in some deals so that was good that's good that you have people to reach out to because in our experience it's either uh we're too high and they never respond and the deal's over or we're too low and they're like done all day and then we're screwed so it's yeah it takes a few deals to figure out what's fair and what's right. Yep. Um, yep. The, f- the the worst part. The yeah, it is the print you sent us is 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 that is that the picture you would have picked or you would have picked something else? Because I picked that one. I, I like that one. That's I a good do too. One. It's the one that with the freshly dropped um, tine or antlers. If anybody's seen it, I'm sure everybody's seen it. Yeah, that one blew up big. That that one actually got huge on uh, on Reddit. Oh, did it? Funny enough, yeah, I posted on Reddit in a, in a subreddit about interesting facts, right? And because a lot of people were messaging me with like hate DMs. On oh, for sure, because you're one. a like, piece of shit for taking yeah, a picture of it. Like something that like happens in natural. Yeah, <laughs> they really they thought that they thought that you cut them off. 
Yeah, yeah, they thought I was uh, punching rhino horns off deer. That is unbelievable. So I decided I saw it as an opportunity because I was like, all right, people obviously don't know about this who are outside of like the hunting world. So I uh, I posted on this subreddit and it made it to the front page of Reddit. It got like a hundred thousand upvotes. Oh wow! I mean. That night, that's hard on Reddit. I woke up and it was like print sales were through the roof of that one picture. That's awesome. <laughs> For anyone that doesn't know, white-tailed all deer, but uh, this is a white-tailed that he took a picture of. They, they, it's their antlers are the fastest growing thing, and as far as bone goes, bone density maybe it's the fastest growing thing in the human in the animal kingdom. So every year they grow these antlers because they're full of testosterone. Then after the rut, they kind of lose that testosterone they can't feed these antlers anymore and they just fall off and they do it every year every you know about now they're maybe starting to nub again it'll when, be i think it'll be another couple of months but a couple of months but it's fast like yeah like the beginning of summer um into spring they'll start i think to grow those back and then by by august in most places you've got deer in full velvet yeah if not sooner ready to start stripping velvet but so this picture that we're talking about, this this buck had lost his antlers, and you got within probably a couple of hours, right? It was still red. Oh yeah, and I, I found a shed later that was probably his. Oh, I'm cool. sure it was. Yeah, Very cool. it was a little bit of blood on it still. It was a little dried off, a little like little darker than being fresh, fresh. But I found it. I was like, oh, that, that this guy, yeah. So this picture looks like a buck that Dom wrestled to the ground and sawed his antlers off with a hacksaw that's what it looked like right and then got it to stand perfectly still yeah. to take a picture afterwards yep, it didn't run away yep i got so much hate mail for that you guys that is unbelievable videos. people My are so stupid box was people calling me a piece of shit it was great how do you deal On with that do instagram you, do you try and, and, and educate or do you just kind of ignore it because i imagine it can be a little overwhelming yeah, the first person who messaged me, I typed out a response to him saying, hey, look, this is what happens with the deer. It's a natural process. Gave him the explanation. Hit send. It was a nice little lengthy thing. I took the time. For yeah, that. did they say anything back? Yeah. No, like uh, that guy, the first guy who messaged me, I remember him because he messaged me back. Oh, sorry. Good picture. <laughs> <laughs> and so the next like 10 people that sent me a message about it, I immediately uh, just copy pasted the same response. Yeah, I would have to. Yeah, some of them kind of responded the same way, like, oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. And, oh, I didn't know that. And one guy was like, whatever, you liar. What? <laughs> oh, gosh. That is unbelievable. Yeah, some people are just looking looking for a reason to, to be angry at somebody. Yeah, we get DMs sometimes about – that's one of the reasons we quit posting um, kill pictures. It's like – it's just not worth it. So, so oh, you yeah. – um, Everything you post, they're still alive, which is cool. So that's one of the reasons that we post deer that are alive because we're we're not in a hunting community per se. We're kind of like everybody drinks whiskey, so there's tons of people around, um, and we always focus because people will send us um, their harvest pictures or their kill pictures or whatever. And, and you know, I'm like, good job. But we've had times before in the beginning days of launching online where we were just commenting on photos and we would go through hashtag whitetails and just, hey, good job, great buck. And then, you know, shortly after, some <laughs> rights activist posts it, posts it somewhere, and then all of a sudden we got 30 people tagging us saying, this is okay with you? This is a game? You think this was a good job? And it's like, all right. So <laughs> just... Yeah, it kind of hurts your brand to someone, you know, that doesn't hunt. It is what it is. You can't right. educate everybody, you know? Yeah. I've gotten messages like that in the past. People just... A guy left a comment on one of the posts the other day. And he said, um, you know, do you hunt too? And I go, yeah, yeah, I've been, been hunting my whole life. And he just 
flipped out. I mean, he started tagging me in other posts saying, is this what you do to like pictures of deer uh, that were dead? I don't, I don't understand that. Like you, you're one person on Instagram and he, and he is, he is on such a mission and so angry that he took that much time to go through picture after picture and tag you and make this a thing with, I just, I don't understand people like that. Well, it's probably just like anything else where if I convert one person, then, then it was worth it. That's well, I see it as a positive. It's a good sign. If you think about it in like the social media landscape, if you have people coming into your page from outside of your bubble, you're reaching a new audience. That's true. That's how I see it. It's an opportunity. Yeah. It's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. He just tagged me in a bunch of hunting posts. People saw my name. That's true. That's a good way to put it. That's a very good way to put it. Um, so when you when you go out to 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 photograph, do you do you approach um, a, a day in the woods the same way you would if you were hunting? And what I mean by that is, obviously, location is important. If you can take a picture of a deer, there's a good chance you could sh- you know you could kill it. Um, but are you are you managing your scent? Are you picking? Are you playing the wind? Doing all the same things you would do if you were hunting? Or does your uh, does your long range lens give you a little more leeway to be relaxed with some of those? The lens helps. Yeah. But I still approach it the same way I approach a hunt. I'm geared up. I got my scent lock on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll try to play the wind as best as I can, but it doesn't always work because sure. sometimes you're facing the other direction and you, it's a bad picture. Yeah, you know, of course. You know, much you could do. <laughs> so as much as I can plan it like a hunt, I do. Yeah. And I've been hunting for probably since I was old enough to walk. I was out dead hunting. So it's like, you know. I might as well use those skills I've acquired in outdoorsmanship to my advantage as much as I can. So you mentioned scent lock. Is that was that a was that a name drop or is that a product you truly believe in? No, I, I like scent lock. Yeah, I don't like it just because I think it covers the scent. I actually think they're comfortable. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, they do have comfortable clothes actually. Look, yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, look, I got tons of camo from Walmart and stuff with no name brand whatsoever that I love, but. Anything I've ever gotten from them has always been it's been good, been comfortable, been, and seems to work just fine. You're close enough to the deer, right? Do you do you ozone box or spray or any of that? I just put it in a Tupperware and ozone. I don't wash it unless it really gets all bloodied up and stuff. Is it a is it a DIY ozone box you made? It's my father actually made it. I know zero about it. Yeah, I, I made one. I I I had one of those. Um, is it scent lock or scent blocker? They had like the tote with the ozone bot little machine built into the side. I had gotten it for Christmas one year or, or something, and the bag, the seam, like busted like a month into owning it. So I just took the I took the unit out and and made like a, a a tote with it attached to the side and the hose running inside. And that's all I do. I might wash my clothes now three or four times a year if they get dirty or they get muddy or bloody. Other than that, I just. I just throw them back. I let them dry. You know, I may set them out in the sun for a little bit, and then I just I throw them back in the box, and I it worked great. And our other company, he made a video, a DIY for it, and it it took off. It had a shit ton of views for a YouTube video that um, for a YouTube video attached to a company that that wasn't historically huge on views. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it had a ton, but it had a, a lot of good comments, and people um, really appreciated the skill. We that should be maybe that's something that we redo um, for our current YouTube page. With that YouTube video, yeah, yeah, we could redo that. It so, needs to be a re- it needs a refresh anyway. So I'm of the totally opposite camp, um, which is probably why I'm the worst hunter in the room. But <laughs> I, I I leverage the stories of the guy doing rip tabs of PBR and smoking cigarettes the whole time, and I'm like, well, if he can kill a deer, I can kill a deer. And um, uh, sometimes I'll spray my feet if I know I'm going somewhere, but I'll use um, scent 
like uh, dough urine or whatever um, to kind of cover up anything that I stop and do. Like if I check the camera, I'm going to throw some urine down. But other than that, I'm not huge careful with my scent. I am big on camouflage, and I know a lot of people aren't, but I've had squirrels jump on me. I wear Sitka mainly, but I've had squirrels jump on me, didn't even see me. And if that speaks for anything, it's that's <laughs> kind of all I got. But let's get into actually talking about whitetail, and I know Gus has some stuff prepared. So as your social media has grown and your photography has kind of taken off, do you find yourself uh, shooting photography just as much as you were? Do, or, or I guess the better question is, do you feel uh, pressure to get out and take more photographs and sort of have that? You mentioned earlier having um, a backlog. Of, do you feel pressure to do that? Or uh, are you still enjoying it and, and is it starting to feel like work? It's definitely a mixture of both. Yeah. I want to say that the, the pressure's on. It's there. Sure. Because I'm always going to harp on being consistent in order to grow right. any kind of social media or brand or yeah. company or anything you're doing, you got to do it. And if you do it once a month, no one's going to care. Yeah. You have to kind of keep being in front of people's eyes and just keep liking what you're doing. So there's definitely pressure to make it happen. There's been days in the woods that – I've gone out and been like, oh, I, you know, I need to get something today because last week was nothing. The week before that was nothing. I got to start filling the SD card. I hope something comes by. And then yeah. it's the third week of going dry, you know, sure. and that's just the name of the game. And that's why, you know, when an opportunity presents itself while I'm out there, yeah, I'm just laying the shutter down. Yeah, I think there's an easy misconception people have because you're able to post as frequently as you are that – uh, you're always every time you step into the field that you're there's deer all over the place uh oh, you know and, and yeah that's what you know it's i tell people all the time you know during hunting season you'll go you'll sit a dozen times sometimes you know depending on how often you're during the rut take a, a week week off and go go sit in the morning and in the evening for a week straight sit 14 times and you may only see deer half those times it's oh, yeah. it, you know you can play the wind you can play whatever it is you believe in the moon phase the the weather a cold front but at the end of the day if the deer aren't gonna don't want to move where you're at they're not gonna move where you're at you can't make them do anything um they're wild animals is what it is yeah creating content and actually um mimicking the fact that you were doing it today is it like people think <laughs> that you're in the woods all the time but they could be this you know all week you could post five pictures from one sitting and it's the same with us people are like wow you really drink every day huh and i'm like no I don't. I drink a lot on the weekends and I take a lot of pictures and then uh, they get posted through the week. But um, yeah, so for hunting, a lot of people don't understand that if you go out and you hunt one time, you're not going to harvest a deer. You're not going to kill a deer. If you go out and you manage the land and you take care of it and you hunt as much as possible, like a couple times a week, maybe four or five times a week, you may kill like three deer during an entire season. But I know your odds are higher where you're in New York. Yeah. What part of New York exactly? Up by uh, St. Johnsville. Mm. It's like an hour to the west of Albany. Oh, okay. There we okay. go. That's okay. Not so much in the sticks, but... Yeah, but you're kind of in the great white north up there. Yeah. yeah. It's right above the uh, southern zone of New York. It's like 10 miles north of the southern zone. Have you noticed a difference now that you're into photography? Have you noticed, and have you noticed a difference in white-tailed deer throughout this country? Because I've lived in the south my whole life, so deer here look like deer here. Your deer look completely different. The, um, I mean, they're wildly different. And it, 
Do you know the science behind that, or do you have anything to say about that at all? Because I, I don't know the science behind it, but I, I totally understand what you mean. Because when I started getting more into it and started following other accounts, like um, name a big one, Lance Kruger. You guys know Lance Kruger? Yep. 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 Okay, Lance Kruger. A lot of his earlier photos were all in Texas. That's where he's at. He's in Texas. A Texas buck look is a Texas buck. You could spot yeah. a Texas buck from mile. Totally away. different. Right. No, that buck is from Texas. Still a white tailed deer. Like yeah, they just had different characteristics. Characteristics. Twelve point drop tine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you have drop tines up there? You ever seen one? I have never seen a drop tine up here. Yeah, not once. But even the, even the body difference as a result, I think of weather. When you look at Texas, a Texas mature Texas buck, um, you know, they have the, they have a big body, but they also seem kind of almost tall and lean. Uh, yeah. Even though they are big, but then you look at. Uh, mature mature deer uh, bucks and specifically from the northeast or the midwest where it gets really cold um, and they're big body but they they have more fur and so they look a little and it makes them almost seem shorter and stockier i think a little bit yeah. um it's it's funny to see how the the environment really dictates the genetics for those areas because down here you know someone will shoot a buck that's you know 145 160 pounds and that's a huge, like unheard of buck yeah. in this part of South Carolina because we have a lot of very thick, very dense, uh, low, lowland swamp. Hot. You know, <laughs> so they don't, uh, it, it doesn't get very cold. Um, they, they're just generally smaller deer down here. That's yeah, just they don't the build way it is. fat layer either. Our, our deer are not that big. They're, I hunted in New York pretty much my whole life until the last maybe decade where I've gone out to like Nebraska and Kansas and done other hunts. Cool. And it wasn't until I did those hunts that I realized the deer in New York are not that big. The big <laughs> deer in New York are not that big. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, we have a, a friend of ours that we, uh, that's a member of the the hunt club and he's from, from Iowa, you know, and, he, and he's talking about hunting friends and family farm with, you know, 250 pound bucks. And I'm just like, dude, that's a small cow. Like that's huge. Could you imagine trying to load that in the back of a truck by yourself? Well, and it's fu- it, that's funny that you mentioned that because when you talk to those those guys and you 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 talk about just picking up a buck and throwing it in the truck and then just driving it to the processor because they're twenty minutes away, they can't they they can't fathom not field dressing a deer because it's so heavy. But right. I mean, I can drag a, a mature buck from South Carolina. I can drag it a mile back to my truck and throw it in the bed of my truck by myself pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know what else I just thought about? So Dom, how tall are you? I'm six foot. So I'm five, nine. Gus is like probably five, 10 or, yeah, or something, so, like that. something like that. So okay. we're all like regular build, but this dude he's talking about from the place he's from with these big ass bucks. How big is he? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a big, big dude. He's a big cornbread. And, corn, you know, and when you think about Texas, six, three, six, four, most of the dudes in Texas are pretty big too. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, it's, um, I wonder if it's, if it's like the deer are big, but so are the people. Could be. Maybe. A lot of corn. There's some correlation there. <laughs> there's gotta be. And there's got, I've never considered that before. Cause he talks, he talks about all the time how big bucks are out there, but he's a big dude too. He makes me nervous sometimes. He's so kind. Yeah. He reminds me of, um, the, the character from, uh, the book of mice and men. Oh yeah. Um, he was just so kind and, um, I think that character was was a little. Uh, Is that the book where he squeezed that girl to death? Yeah, and yeah. he had a little mouse. Yeah, but he's smarter than that dude. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that guy was a little slow, and I don't want to insult him if he hears, if he listens no, to this, no. and then maybe the second time I've screwed Didn't up. Didn't you already insult the man? Yeah, I already, yeah, yeah. I already screwed that gentle up. Gentle so. giant, Joe. You're a gentle giant. We don't, we don't mean, we don't mean that you're from the book of mice and men. No, no, no. I just, he's, he's such a the nicest, biggest. Just, he's just a nice guy. Um, a teddy bear, and he got a big old beard. And, and and then and then like, and you would never know that like he was just a he was a a marine, and you know probably kicking doors down and could you imagine being uh an iraqi and he walks through the through door your door he has oh to duck God. to walk in <laughs> he's a little 115 pound little iraqi kid <laughs> and joe walks through the door and he's how much do you think he weighs i bet you he's 260 uh yeah well and when he was in the marine corps he was obviously a lot thinner um i've seen some pictures but i mean he's still uh, nothing that i'd want to i wouldn't want to poke that bear He's definitely the men part of mice and men. Yeah, but um, <laughs> so what's what are some things about you know whitetail deer activity that you have observed, um, or that you you think or you feel like you've been able to pick up on and observe uh, through photography that maybe you didn't or you think most people probably wouldn't pick up on or, or um, when you're hunting because you're kind of in a different mindset, right? You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, the mindset's completely different, especially, I mean, it's, how do you really explain it? When you're out there taking photographs, the deer's going to keep moving. Meanwhile, when you're hunting, you're just waiting for him to stop moving. You're waiting to line up your shot. You're thinking yeah. of, you know, your shot placement. You're waiting to get a clean one. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to wound him, obviously. Sure. And, you know, that's your mindset is about taking the shot. It's not about so much observation outside of, well, he picked his head up, I got to stay still. Or, you know, he's moving his nose down. He might stop for a second to eat, you know. When you're doing photographs, now I'm thinking more of, I learned a lot about how they behave when they're alerted. Because it yeah. used to be a deer blows at you or starts stomping, you're done. He, he sees you, he heard you, he smelled you, you're done. Sure. Now, when you're doing photographs and you don't have to move at all and you can stay perfectly still and you're not, it's not as precise as taking a shot with mm-hmm. a rifle or a bow where I have a nice wide frame to work with. Sure. And he just has to be standing somewhere in it. You know, I can kind of tell when he's going to keep moving or when he's going to put his head down. It's not like a sixth sense or like, it's more like intuition where you right. just start to learn their behaviors and movements. And it also helps that a lot of the deer that I've seen were from similar areas that I kept going to because I knew there was deer herds there. Yeah. And a lot of the pictures I've taken of like the, the bigger bucks that I posted out there, some of them are the same buck. If you look back at a few of them, it's the same buck I encountered a second time. Okay. So when he came out that other time, I'd be looking down, you know, the lens at him. I'm like, he did the same thing last time. I know where he's going. I know what he's going to turn. Like he's acting the same way. There are uh-huh. creatures that happen. So, so you've been able to actually pick up on, and, and I guess some some folks that hunt particular properties real hard and and really, really get on trail cameras can maybe attest to being able to pick up on a, an individual deer's sort of, um, oh yeah, behavior and and kind of a, a almost a personality, if you will. Um, but what you were talking about, it it sounded like you were uh, kind of des- describing. We're all familiar, like you said, with a deer stomping and a deer um, blowing. Which is kind of I I would I would describe that as kind of the the climax like that that's the peak of a deer being alerted to danger, uh, oh, yeah. but but you you're talking about picking up on uh, subtle differences or, or su- subtle changes in behavior leading up to that like being a little more alert than than normal but not to the point where they're looking to blow out of there and 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 not come back for a, a day or two. 
Yeah. As soon as a deer stops and isn't trying to eat something, yeah, they know something's up. That's what I've learned. It's if they're stopping and all of a sudden they're looking around mm-hmm. and you didn't make a sound, you didn't move or nothing, they smell you. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. They, they're not stomping or snoring at you yet. They're going to in a few minutes. Sure. I've, I, are, the game's already up. They're just trying to get the bearings. I kind of I kind of operate, uh, especially when I'm bow hunting, that uh, and the, the spot that I'm in is very thick. So I, I only have uh, the one particular spot where I have the most success. Um, the deer, for me to get a clean shot, are have to be within 30 yards, uh, preferably 20. So I, I, I hunt on, on the the assumption that that deer is on high alert and that knows something is up. Um, and, and you can see it in there. Like you can, I can see them from a distance, um, as they close in and you can, you can definitely see a, a change in behavior as they get within that 40 yard and then 30 yard, um, you know, on the trail where, where they're walking things, they know something's not quite right. They don't see anything and maybe they don't smell you, but there's a sense that something is, is, is different in that area. And, uh, it's, it's interesting to watch my, my favorite thing to watch is the difference in how a young, you know, spike or a button buck, um, or a young, a young doe will handle that situation compared to a more mature deer that has more experience. Um, I think we're all familiar with, you know, how, how deer will file out into a field. A lot of times it's the younger deer first and the more mature deer hang back. Well, that's because they've learned over time, you know, there's a reason those deer are older and mature, right? They've, they've learned their lessons and they've made their mistakes. Um, but yeah, deer are fascinating to watch. And I, I just, I, th- I think it would be cool to sit behind a camera more, um, as opposed to a, a bow or a rifle and, 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 and be able to watch more of those, those subtle characteristics that a, um, that a white, that a whitetail has. Yeah, man, I totally agree with you. And it's, it's more of a, um, a sense of two, you'll, you'll remember every deer you've shot. Right. Like you'll remember every time you pulled the trigger, you remember every deer you knocked down, but it's really hard to remember the ones you passed on and you weren't really looking for their behavior while you were passing on a deer and watching them walk away. And when you're taking pictures, you're watching everything the deer does. You're watching them come in, you're watching them leave and you're seeing how that behavior changes. So as a storyteller, I have two questions. Uh, And these are kind of the, one of the reasons that I, we pin on you so hard with your photographs is because you're, you're, uh, you tell a story with every picture and whether the story is a hundred percent true or there's some hyperbole or there's some exaggeration of the facts or you're just making up cool stories. It doesn't matter. But one thing I've noticed in your photos is the younger the deer with the exception of an old doe, the younger deer seem to look right at you. So a lot of the pictures they're clearly seeing you cause they're looking right at you. But when you get into the kind of medium age does, they will do kind of like this side eye thing where they're not pointing their face at you, but their eyeballs looking at you. Oh, like the buck you posted the other day. And then I've noticed that bucks do that as well. So the younger bucks, they're still young, and I think they look right at you. But the older bucks seem to kind of look off to the side and like they're looking at you, but they're not pointing their face at you. And then there's some like some of these does you have where she's pissed off and she's stomping. She's staring right at you. She's mad. Um have you noticed any kind of correlation on that on young and old male or female? And if they notice you cause they're looking at you or they're just looking in your direction, is there anything that you can say on that? Because that is an important thing as a hunter to know what kind of deer is in front of you. And if it's looking at you, if it's okay, or if you're screwed. Yeah, that's a really good question, honestly. And uh, it's funny you bring that up. No one's ever brought up 
that kind of correlation between the younger and the older deer to me. And now I just say it, it makes perfect sense. And uh, I never actually thought about that. And next time I go out, I'm going to be looking at the deer a little bit more to see if they're actually doing that because I never put those two and two together. Yeah, pay attention to that because I've seen it. And that's the only reason I picked up on, on your photos because I see young deer. Because I've seen, I've, I've watched, because we have a rule at our club for um, what size you can harvest. So four point, six point walks out. I mean, I just sit there and stare at it. I'm not doing anything. I'm not pulling my rifle up I'm not or my bow. I'm not doing anything. I'm just staring at it. And there's been times where it, it'll look right at me and be like, meh, not a big deal. But there's been times where um, does have come out and they look right at me and they stomp. And then there's been times that you kind of look like uh, medium aged does that come out and they, they, they see that something's going on over there, but they don't really pay attention to you. But as far as bucks, the bucks that I've seen in South Carolina, um, I feel like they're always watching me, but they're never looking like they don't ever put, put their snout towards me. And that's the reason I picked up on that on your, uh, cause it was kind of telling the same story that I've had this theory on and I could be way off, but it's just something that I've experienced. And I wonder if, uh, I think you might be on because I'm going to go out, out now and really pay attention to that and see uh, how much of that really holds water. Because from the photos I have, it kind of makes sense, but it doesn't play out in the real world because that could have just been a moment where Buck was walking by and I happened to capture that moment and ha- post that picture. But I'm now now I'm going to actually really pay attention to it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, if an old buck looks at you and then runs away, then you know. I mean, <laughs> old does do crazy shit, so I wouldn't base anything on that. But I feel like the young the younger ones would kind of be like, what is this thing? Especially if you're not in a high traffic no area. Right up to me. Yeah. Do I, they know you're there, the young ones? I've had uh, like a yearling buck, didn't even have buttons yet, nothing, walk literally within 10 yards of me and just stare and stay there and kind of move his head around back and forth, trying to figure out what I was. And then he just kind of trod off, not scared, no tail up, no freaking out. And that right there, I was just sitting there holding down the shutter. I, I made a video of it. I, I was able to take my cell phone out and make a video of this little young buck standing across from me. And I was the entire time thinking in my head, I'm like, why isn't he running? What is happening right now? <laughs> How is this going on? Yeah. But I, the only time I ever got that close to a buck really walk up to me is that one picture I took um, close encounter. That was like the, probably the best one I've ever taken where that buck came around a tree and put his head down, staring right at me and just started taking steps. And my first thought was, Oh, I'm screwed. He's <laughs> This buck's going to get pissed and charge me. Oh, I'm going to have a story in the news about the idiot with a camera who got stabbed by uh, a Oh, man, that would be wild. I watched a video the other day of a, um, I want to say it was maybe in Yellowstone or there was, a, there was a photographer, I think, and he was sitting on the side of a road and he had been taking pictures and a, an elk, a spike elk had walked up to him and was like kind of sparring with him <clears throat> and he was sitting down on the ground Indian style and an elk has got, you know, these two foot spikes. That's yeah, the worst elk <laughs> to get stabbed by. And he's, and he's starting to kind of like get more and more aggressive. And the guy props to him was just staying super calm and kept putting the, the elk kept like knocking his hat off and he'd put his hat back on. And I don't know what the end result was, but the uh, traffic was stopped on both sides. And I just knew that that video was going to show this poor guy get, uh, impaled by this by this little buck or this little uh <clears throat> bull elk but uh, you a know, terrible way to go yeah no kidding Dude, but um you know i do suck. know you're talking about you know more mature deer uh, seemingly not looking directly at where danger is as prey animals i know that they have a tendency to mask when they're hurt 
you know, so I think we've all seen at this point that that video, that trail camera video of that deer that looks like maybe it was run over by a combine and like the, the left side of its back was, was like, ripped was off. like shaved yeah. off. That and was this, insane. Yeah. And he, he looks fine. Like he, he's walking. And I, from what I've read, that's like a, uh, animals like that, um, you know, over time, they develop the ability to hide that they're hurt so that they don't seem like an easy target like to, a, yeah. to a, to a predator. Um, and I wonder if not acknowledging a predator is sort of a way to, you know, it's, it's part of that process, um, if that makes sense. Like, you guys are going to make me watch a lot of YouTube videos tonight about this. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be staying up all night reading and researching and trying to figure this out because all of it makes perfect sense. And it could be nothing. It could just be, you know, a result of ex- different experiences kind of falling into place. Sure. I'd, I'd be curious to know if that's really the thing where they, they, the more mature bucks and more mature doe don't keep their eyes right on a predator. They kind of just keep a, a sense about them so that they don't look like they know you're there. So they're waiting for you to make a move. Maybe. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's exactly what I'm thinking. That of. sounds like a research project and a follow up podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. I'm so, a- version two. So yeah. that picture we posted, I, one last photography question. I know I keep saying we're going to get into deer, but well, um, one last photography question. That picture we posted of the buck looking out of the corner of his eye. Was that taken with that 600 millimeter lens or were you really close to him? I was close. That was with the 300 millimeter lens, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was real close. He was probably maybe, almost like 40, 50 yards away. And there was that, uh, there was a young, it might have been a, might have been a, a doe, a young doe. And a, there was a more mature doe behind him. There might have been a young doe or a young buck, couldn't tell. But um, I was looking at the, the doe and the, and the younger deer standing next to her. And I wasn't even looking out of the viewfinder. And I see the little corner kind of something moves in front of it. I pick my head up for a second. I'm like, oh, that's a huge buck. That yeah. dude's been lifting by the neck all season. <laughs> he's even got stab wounds in his neck. I mean, you can see that he's been fighting. He's a, he's a warrior. Big boy. Yeah. He's got weird looking tines, but. Yeah, he came out of nowhere. After I took that picture, though, I started snapping away. And, uh, you know, to your point about them keeping eyes on predators, they were all gone in the matter of 10 seconds after I took those. Oh, really? Yeah, just gone. Is his G1 split? It looks like his G1 is split. It is split. Yeah. He's got two-point G1. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool-looking buck. That is a cool-looking buck. A little, little gnarly. Yeah. So, so how much... Go, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, how much has your life changed with this 600-millimeter lens? Oh, I love it so much. Uh, I, I was between buying the 600 and, and the uh, Nikon 200-500. Yeah, And because I, I always had Nikon glass. The Tamron is the first one I bought that wasn't Nikon glass. And it was recommended to me by another photographer. And I saw a bunch of sample images. And I asked a buddy of mine who has it and has the same camera as me, the, uh, the Nikon Z5. I asked him, you know, let me, let me try it out. And I did. And I loved it. And now that I have that extra, pretty much double the reach I had yeah. before, it's just opportunity central. A lot of shots that I would take and then go home with and be like, ah, maybe I can crop it down. It just wasn't clear enough. It wasn't sharp enough. They're just, they're garbage photos that I'm, I'm holding on to that may not, may work in the future, may not, but who cares? But now that I have the 600, it's like, I'm just, I'm right up there in the action and I have so much more leeway with how much movement I can do and how much noise I can make readjusting without them really seeing me there. I could shoot that thing up to probably comfortably 80 to a hundred yards and still get a pretty clear That's shot. fascinating. We both have the one six and the it's 
he can't shoot long distance uh, close up. It's made for a videography. It's a short frame of field, but the um, the ability to see at night is one of the reasons that I love it in a blind because when it's it's still shooting light, I'm not shooting deer past shooting light, but um, I can turn that thing on and, and put it down to 2.8, and you can see clearly. I mean, it's grainy, right? But you can see clearly where my eyes can't see. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it lets a ton of light in. It's great. Yeah, it's a big old magnifying glass, just catches all that light with that much aperture, and you're good. So with your hunting skills and your photography skills, if we were going to teach a class on the intro to whitetail hunting, because we have a lot of hunters that, that listen and follow along, and we have a lot of whiskey people listen and follow along and probably want to get into hunting. Um, hunting's kind of exploding right now. So if we were to teach a class on how to go out and get your first deer in public land, we don't have to talk about tree stands and everything, but let's talk about the process that you go through getting geared up, what kind of gear you would take, what you're looking for to know, because you're not just going to walk out in the woods and sit down with a camera. Like, you know what you're looking for. So what are you looking for when you go out to hunt with a camera or a rifle or a bow or, or whatever it is? And then we'll kind of insert our um, experience as well. Well, I like to look at maps beforehand whenever I'm looking at Key. an area that I want to like go for. Yep. I want to look at, you know, where's the water source, where's the food source, where they converge. That's where you're going to find not just where deer are, but where most wildlife are. They're by water, they're by food. So if you can find an area where there's a pond that's converged by a couple of different small creeks or rivers that are running into it, that's kind of where you want to start looking. That's the first place. Then you got to go out and scout. Start looking for signs. Know how to track. Look for, you know, deer trails. You see a really heavily trodden deer trail. You know, there's deer out there. They're creatures of habit. They run the same lines every day. It's just what they do. So yeah. once you find those and some scrapes and some rubs, that's when you start branching out and saying, okay, they're coming towards the water and towards the food, or they're going away from it, but they're coming down here. So where am I going to set up where I'm going to have a clear line of sight on this general area? And that that's the, your first step is finding out signs of where they've been because you just walking out into the woods and looking around you're gonna be doing that for hours before you even you know have a chance of seeing something more than likely you're not going to see a thing well before we go to second step let's follow up on first step so maps do you have a map that you use like onyx or insert no my father's big into onyx i never really used it uh, i kind of never really got into the whole like group tracking thing although i think onyx is pretty cool i've used it with him a couple of times and it's like I'm kind of missing out, <laughs> but uh, as far as I just look at Google Maps, to be honest, I know the land around me and I just look at, uh, you know, where the water is, where the food is, I know where the farms are, I know where the, the creeks are. And, you know, your knowledge of the land is going to be the biggest aid for you when you're first looking for a spot to go sit. Yeah. So our last company, we had a, a deal with Onyx and um, Gus and I both have like lifetime memberships, but we, we got it for our pro staff, and um, this year when we re-up with the new company, because um, we kind of got rid of the last one. So when we re-up, I'll see if I can get you a uh, a, a one-year. Um, it it'll only be for one state. I can't get you the, the full country, but they usually cool. they can hand out. I might actually have a one-year sitting around somewhere that I can get you. So Give it, I'll take it. Next question on step one. So you talk about scrapes. So if you were scouting an area and you see a ground scrape, versus a tree scrape versus a clear the bush that they the little low hanging limb that they chew on are are any of those three more important to you for any reason or that you view them all the same i like ground scrapes i like ground scrapes more why i don't like to hunt over them 
I know a lot of guys like to hunt like directly over scrapes. That's like their thing. They like to go right to those spots. And it makes sense because deer will come back to those scrapes and bucks will remark them with their territory. They'll, you know, urinate on them, mess around with them, you know, walk away. That's their area. This is their house. But I always felt that if you're right on top of them, they're going to know something's up only because, you know, think about it. This is their area. They know everything about it. So if you're sitting right on top of it, they're going to realize something's different. Something's wrong. Okay. So you don't pick one. You don't, you don't have a favorite. Oh, you just said ground. Okay. Do you have a reason why ground scrapes are your favorite? They're easy to spot and they're easy <laughs> to look at and track out and yeah. kind of, you can walk a hundred yards away from a ground scrape and be like, Oh, there's a ground scrape. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's easier to kind of market yourself. Do you find them more frequently traveled than like a rub line on trees? I don't know if they're more frequently traveled, and I, I can't say I'm an expert on the matter of tracking, you know, knowing the behavior of deer, especially like when we talked about before, how all deer are different from across right. the country. But at least by me, ground scrapes seem to be the more traveled path of the bucks. So that's the way it is with us as well. Ground scrapes seem to be, seem like if you put a trail cam on a ground scrape, it, it's almost daily, where rubs seem to be, it's something they get to, you know, we'll get around to that rub and go re rub. Um, but ground scrapes seem to be, especially after a storm, like they want to come in and, and put put their scent back. I think it's because it's a more powerful marker. Yeah, I and I think it's yeah. I think it's uh, it's visited by by more more deer, right? So does are also visiting and using it. Um, it's true. Yeah, a lot of them. A lot of them will have a licking branch. Yeah, um, that's what it's called. You know, uh, near it or above it, and I think uh, I just think it's more of a communal thing than a than a, a rub is or a yeah, rub line. message board opposed to uh, an angry scrape. That makes sense. So here, now here's a question because again, I'm not an expert on deer behavior at all. I just know what I know. Now, do you think that if you have like the mature bucks in the area that are making scrapes, do you think it's going to scare off the younger bucks from coming around or do you think it's going to kind of bring them in to kind of tussle with the bigger bucks? So Gus and I have varying points on this and I'm going to let Gus go first. I don't think that it does. And that's from, that's from watching, um, and having a camera near a rub line. Um, I think, I think it establishes territory says, Hey, uh, you know, I'm here. This is my area. Um, but I, I, the, the one, the one that I had really good pictures of, um, throughout the year, I saw I had active rubs uh, within, you know, 30, 40 yards of where that camera was at. And that camera saw bucks of all all ages uh, early in the season when they were kind of in their bachelor groups. Um, and then later in the season, uh, when they broke apart, uh, they were still coming around in the same area. Uh, a couple of the bigger bucks, more mature bucks left. And I think they just... I think their territory was bigger um, you know, during the rut. They just they just went away, um, but I don't know that it necessarily scares younger bucks away so much as lets them know that hey, uh, I'm you know, I'm this buck and this is where I'm at. Um, but I, you know, mileage may vary. I guess I don't know. Yeah, and the reason that our opinions vary on this is because Gus is speaking and probably. We couldn't call it absolutes because they're not, but it's probably the run-of-the-mill advice. If we were just quickly going to touch on the topic, that is the advice. Um, 
my varying point in it leads into mock scrapes. Um, if, if there's a bunch of bucks traveling and so if there's a bunch of bucks traveling the same spot and they see a, a scrape line, um, I have good belief that if there's a massive scrape that looks crazy and it's on a big thick tree, I don't think it's going to scare the younger bucks, but I think the older bucks will see it and be like, I don't feel like messing with this dude. And that's probably why they leave. But if you make a mock scrape and, and all the scrapes in the area are six to eight inches and you go in there and make a 10 inch scrape and throw a bunch of scent down, I don't know if it's that they think it looks weird or if they think that there's this huge monster in here that's going to destroy me. But I, I don't think young bucks. Are we talking about scrapes or rubs? Oh, I'm confused. Sorry. I'm confused. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> well, now, what was the, first, the question? Because now, did I get, did I, was I talking about the wrong thing? Yeah, he asked about, about ground scrapes. He asked about scrapes, yeah. Ground scrapes. Oh, I thought we were talking about trees. Rubs. Oh, we talking about tree scrapes. Sorry, my bad. I, I, I I was, we so we, about, we agree on ground scrapes. <laughs> yeah, we agree on ground scrapes, yes. <laughs> we, I, thought Sorry, we were, I thought we went to rubs. I thought we were bad. talking about uh, rub lines. Yeah, no. my bad. Oh, my bad, my bad. Rub lines are different. Rub lines are different. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. I haven't even had that much to drink. No, I know. Um, I haven't either. Yeah, no, ground <laughs> scrapes, I, I agree. I don't think that anybody cares. I think that, I think, as you said, I think it's a, or, or I don't know who said it, but it's a community message board and I think everybody visits it. But I think that large mature bucks may think that this is a too well-traveled area. There's too much competition and, um, and they may move on. Or as you said, they've been around longer. They know that you can cross this river and there's a farm yeah. on the other side with fields. Um, yeah. Mileage may vary. That's a good point. Yeah, my bad. Oh, I was getting into rapes. Yeah, ground scrapes. Yeah, we're with you. We, we covered two topics at once. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're a very efficient podcast. Yeah. All um, right, so step two. Step two. So, yeah, after and, – and just for, you know, I think, I think Matt and I would, would generally agree that uh, 90% of a successful hunt is preparation. Um, knowing where the deer are at, scouting, doing your, you know um, – Online scouting ahead of time, doing your preseason work. Yeah, all that stuff is super important. So, along with repetitions um, with the bow, sighting in your rifle, there's a lot of things you do in the summer when it's hot that that you you should. If you're if if it's opening day and the day before you're out there looking for a place to put a stand, you you done you done messed up. (laughs) Every hour you spend tracking and scouting mm -hmm. is worth twelve hours in the stand. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. So you've identified a spot. What, um, you know, a location that, you know, there's deer, um, let's, let's skip through picking a stand and a stand location. Um, you've got to, you've got to stand up. What is your kind of your routine, your go-to sort of, uh, set of method for getting into the woods successfully? I hate to to interject again, but I, I just have to know. So. You shoot most of this from the ground, right? Yeah, I'm mostly sitting. Are you are you in a blind? Or I you have just... uh, you know like a pop up blind, not like a full on cover blind, but you know like um, what are those blinds called? Like little ground ones used for turkey hunting. Yep, sure. Yeah, I'll set I'll set one of those up. Once little hide because it's just kind of yeah, you're like one of those little half hides. And is that what you used to hunt out of, or you used to stand hunt? No, I, I stand hunt when I'm when I'm hunting them up in the stand. It's a lot easier. Well, has it changed your mind now? Like, since you see so much deer, I mean, I don't know how, your flow of deer while hunting versus camera, but now that you see so much out of a hide, are you going to start hunting out of a hide? 
Well, again, I, I mean, you're looking at the Instagram page. So remember, <laughs> it's a lot of days out there. Right, right. And I can't set up a tree stand every single time I want to take pictures. And if I'm on the ground, it's a better angle. That's true. It's a better view, you know? So that's kind of why I like the ground more than I like being in the stand for at least for the camera. All right. Well, that, that was the only question. So back to Gus's thing. <laughs> It's a fair point, though. So, 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 heading into the woods, like, what is your um, maybe less focus on on photography that day? Assuming you're probably just out of habit, going to bring a camera along anyways. But your focus is to to get something in the freezer that day. Kind of, what's your what are the things you're not going to leave the house without? And what what are the the steps or the uh, the processes um, routine that you're going to absolutely do every time? Well, for hunting, um, look, I'm always going to pack a bag with some of the essentials uh, just in case. Have a little, some survival gear with you. Have a knife, have some tape, have a bandage, have, you know, just regular things you would throw in your bag. Have water, have a right. little bit of food. You of never know if you're going to get stuck out there. Something's going to happen. Yep. You always want to be prepared for that. That's basics. But uh, as far as gear I need to have, uh, weather depending, if it's going to be cold, you got to know how to dress warm. You're going to be sitting still for hours. Yeah, especially up there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you guys have been on cold hunts before, and it's it's miserable if you're not ready for it. Yeah, this, I try to explain to people that there's a big difference when it's in the 20s or 30s outside, and you throw on a pair of blue jeans and a jacket and a hat, and you go run some errands, or you, maybe you're you're grilling outside or doing things around the house, and you're moving, and you're kind of coming in and out, it's still cold, but it's a lot different than when you're sitting in that same temperature for four, five, six hours without moving. It's a whole different kind of cold. I, I caught a lot of uh, a lot of flack from a friend of mine once because we were going up um, and we were hunting, and the weather was supposed to be like negative fifteen Oof. plus wind chill. It was a brutal day, and I have um, I have heated gear that I that I break out once in a while, and nice. I don't like to because of how much I get made fun of for it, but. I was nice and toasty that day. Yeah, I bet so. Freezing his ass off all night. You know? Yeah, no, I I would not be giving you shit about that at all. I would. But Matt, the cold. Matt, Matt will give you shit while looking it up on Amazon and putting it in yeah, his I cart. Just, I just bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the main thing you got to think of is how much noise you're going to make. Oh, yeah. You know, you got that's why buying your gear is very important. Like whatever pants you're buying, make sure they're of some kind of material that's not going to make a lot of noise. You don't want to be wearing anything that's. Unless you have to wear something waterproof, don't because it's going to swish every time you move. Mm-hmm. It's going to crumple every time you move. You want to just wear something nice. Avoid any kind of cotton underlayers because they're going to get wet you know, oh, yeah. sweat, and either you're going to freeze or right. you're going to be soaked and uncomfortable. So, yep. yeah, you got to have things that's moisture wicking, at least for your base layer, outer layers. Who cares? Yeah, we went we went on an elk hunt a few years ago and I invested in some solid um, merino wool base layers. and. Nice. Uh, Man, I tell you what, those things are great. They're they're warm when they need to be warm. They they wick away moisture and keep you cool when they need to. Um, it's really a pretty phenomenal uh, fabric, you know. And and the the raw wool that that you know is made popular in kind of more cold uh, areas of the of the world. Uh, you know, there's a reason wool is and as popular as it is. And that that's another interesting thing about humans is is that that type of material has existed forever and now we're trying to make it synthetically and i and i wonder if that type of wool was something that just happens to work or if we have evolved over time to uh to respond well to merino wool as opposed to other types of synthetics like that's even though they try to duplicate it they can't 
Like you can't duplicate what merino wool does. And even though that's one of the first things that was made for clothing, I wonder if our, like through evolution of human time, if our bodies have just gotten accustomed to wearing it. Cause I mean, they wore wool up through the civil war. I mean, it's only yeah. been like a hundred years that we quit wearing it. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, I think the difference between kind of that older wool, um, and the wool now is they've, they found ways to make the wool with the properties that were, uh, that made it an attractive fabric for, yeah. for that. And they've been able to take out those things that are where it has to be thick. You yep. know, they found ways to machine, make it way thinner, way thinner. Yep. Um, they've taken out the itchy kind of roughness of it. So you get the same benefits in a much more comfortable, I'll be honest with you, for that elk hunt, I bought Merino wool boxers and those things, I still wear those things. Those yeah, things are great. That's awesome. fantastic. <laughs> That's one thing that kind of the military teaches you, like, cause I did a lot of rucking and, and, um, carrying weight and you're, and you're going to sweat climbing these mountains and there's snow on the mountains. It's cold outside. Um, and I kind of use it the same thing in, in hunting. If I'm trekking in somewhere that's, that's a long way, you want to start cold. You don't want to start warm as, as much as it sounds fun to be warm and then start your walk. You want to be as cold as possible because you're going to heat up. So sacrifice that 10 minutes of, of being uncomfortable for what's coming. Cause if you, if you start walking warm, you're, you're going to be sweating real quick and then it'll ruin your entire day. Yeah. It'll just be more cold later. Yeah. I hate that. Whenever you're walking out to a stand, especially uphill, you finally get there, you're just sweating. And you know, by the time you sit down, you're like, all right, I'm still a little toasty, heart's beating a little bit. Then like half hour later, you're like, huh, it's getting a little chilly. Then an hour later, you're like, I'm, I'm screwed. This day's gonna suck. <laughs> yeah. It's, it happens down here a lot. The, the, the winter months are weird down here uh, because it'll, you know, Midday, the coldest it might get is is in the 30s on a, on an, an average for maybe a month or two out of the out of the year, um, and but then it'll or or maybe in the 50s, but then it will drop that 15 20 degrees really quick. Yep. So it's very easy to make the mistake of oh I feel fine right now I'll just grab a light jacket and carry it in. You get a little bit sweaty and then by the time you get to your stand and you get situated, you're in the stand for an hour still a little bit wet from sweating that temperature drops and yeah, you find yourself sh up. shivering in a tree yeah. stand and it's just, yeah, it's uh the, the weather gets tricky down here. Um, I wish it was a little more predictable, um, but you know, it is what it is. So back to the, the uh, mentality that you could always take your layers off, but you exactly. can make layers magically appear. Right. So you might as well bring it with you, put it yeah. in the bag, carry it around. If you got to throw it on, throw it on. But you know, if you don't have it, you're, you're kind of screwed. So back to the first time, Hunter. So we covered location. We covered scouting. We covered, did we talk about sneaking into the woods? Like how you get in the woods and stay scent free? So uh, once, No, we talked more about what to bring out there. I don't think we talked about uh, how yeah, to so, so when you get out of the truck. So now you're there, yeah. Yeah. When you get out of the truck, what's the next move before you start walking in? Well, it depends what kind of gear you got. If you got some kind of gear that you've had like, like, uh, you know, scent proofed and everything, you should probably put it in whatever bag it was in, throw it in your truck and not put it on your house or anything like that. Be wearing it while you're inside the truck. Kind of could throw it on while you're outside. Yep. yep. That way you're kind of not contaminating the whole thing with all the smells of your vehicle. That's a good way to go about it. But uh, once you get all that stuff on, you don't go pushing through those woods in a hurry to get out there. You want to at least get out there nice and early. That way you have time to walk slow. You don't want to make a lot of noise. And, you know, obviously the, best way to camouflage yourself at night is just be quiet. You know, you, you can't go out there and start 
rustling around and running through the forest trying to get to your stand as quick as possible. You're going to alert everything in the area that you're out there. Yeah. Let's do a time. If sun sets at 7, what time should you be making your way to the stand? What, sun rises at 7, you mean? Oh, for uh, no, for if we're hunting at night in the morning, I guess we can do either one. But well, let me let's take a second to ask it. Do you hunt primarily in the morning or in the evening? Because down here we hunt. I like morning better. Yeah, we hunt evenings. So we hunt a lot of evenings. Oh, you do, here. Oh, you yeah. do evenings. Okay. Not yeah. a lot of movement in the morning. Look, I've done evening hunts, but look, I'm the kind of guy that once I'm out there, I'm out there. Like if I'm going out there for a morning hunt, I'm usually staying till sunset. No, oh, nice. Like, I'm I'm out there for twelve plus hours just because. I don't want to miss it because I know, look, the most active times are right after sunrise or right before sunset, but deer walk out in the middle of the day too. Absolutely. Yep. People say the same thing about turkey hunting and most success, oh, yeah. most success I personally have had at turkey have been around lunchtime. So, well, the, the only thing here for, it gets so damn hot. So <laughs> like our season opens August 15th. Yeah, so it's miserable. It, if you think you're going to kill a deer in the morning and August 15th, it's not going to happen. It's, they come out. Right as the sun start, right when the sun's not baking them, they start moving. So you're going to get something kind of right at that last last light thing. So if for you it's in the morning, so if sun rises at six a.m., what time do you need to be um, getting out of the truck to you walk be in? Out of, out of that truck, depending on how far you got to walk. Let's say what time you got to be in your stand because let's six a.m. half a mile walk. Six a.m. half a mile walk. You got to be out of your truck at four. Yeah. Easily, you got to be out of your truck at four. You're walking okay. half a mile slow. That's probably going to take you about I'm glad 15, I hunt. 20 minutes on terrain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I hunt evenings. Because so you may because you may actually, and this is kind of, I think we'd sort of, we didn't really touch on this point, but when you're doing your scouting and then a part of that should have been identifying like a good entry point and exit point so that you're not oh, disturbing yeah, maybe a bedding area mm-hmm. or, or where they're going to be walking. So you may be able to park somewhere and you may have a direct... 15 minute walk to a spot but but if you if you take that walk you're going to blow up a bedding area and and ruin your hunt so the best worst feeling right so 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 really what you have to do is park in another area and maybe the best thing to do is instead of that 10 or 15 minute walk is you have a 30 or 45 minute walk and from another direction but you're downwind and you or upwind um whichever is in your favor and you're not blowing up a bedding area. You're not walking directly through um, maybe a feeding area you observed so that you can have more success. It's, it's thinking through all those things and executing that, um, that if you do all that, right, you know, getting up at getting out of your truck at 4am to get to your stand at six, all that comes easy. Hopefully. It definitely gives you the benefit without a doubt. For sure. So you prepared, you're there early, you get out there, or you're there yeah, either way, you're early no matter what time you're hunting. Yeah. So you're going to factor in two hours between when you essentially plan to see something. Um, when you get in that stand, what are you doing? Are you on your phone playing Candy Crush or are you sitting perfectly still like a statue? In the wise words of my father, the best camouflage ever is sitting still and shutting up. There yep. we go. And we s- hear it over and over again with was, every guest we have. Dude, yeah. you can't. I, I, I hate even bringing my phone out there, but it's a necessity. I can't. I know guys who do that. They just sit there and, you know, play around their phones. I know guys who fall asleep in their stands. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Why are you out here? You know, <laughs> you want to go fall asleep in the woods, just go down and lay down in the woods next to the road. Who cares? But. <laughs> so if we can invent a statement right now on this podcast, as far as the way deer go. So like, just an example. I'm, just, I'm not saying this is what it is. Just as an example, if a deer 
or a deer will see you before it smells you, before it hears you. Or a deer will see you a hundred yards before it smells you at twenty. I mean, I don't know what what would be what would be a good like. This is a good way to label what deer do because I know they see you way further than they hear you. However, they hear really good, but they smell even better, right? I mean, they, we I read a book about deer hunting that was written. I don't know in the forties or fifties. The guy was talking about making his own bows, but he was saying that a deer smells like we read a book. So it can walk by and be like yesterday, somebody walked through here with ice cream and dropped ice cream and it sat on the ground for 10 seconds and they picked it up and put it back in their cone. Like that's how well they smell. So what, what sense do you think they have first smell here? eyesight? Personally, I think deer live and die by their nose. I agree. Yeah. By far. I, I think that they are always, Sniffing, there. That's like, like you said, it's how they read a book. That's how they're seeing what's in front of them downwind. That's why wind plays such a factor. And you know, if you see a deer, chances are he may not see you. That's how you can get so close to him. If you're high up in a tree stand, he may not smell you. But yeah, how many times you've been up at a stand and from a hundred yards out, you just hear whoosh, they just blew at you, and you're like, I, where the hell is he? They didn't see you. <laughs> they, they smelled you. Right, yeah, happens absolutely. all the time. Yep. Oh yeah, you could be sitting perfectly still, and especially does. Oh, those girls can smell. Uh, there's been times where I reach up and I uh, like lean over and, and let a little gas escape, and uh, <laughs> five, five seconds later, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's over. So, so smell first, and then are we going to say hear or eyesight second? You know, I would only say hearing because of the environment. Because most of the time when you're hunting, you're up in a tree stand. You might be looking over a field, but behind you is going to be a bunch of trees. You're going to be blended in with the camo. So you have a better advantage over sight. Sure. So I think they're going to hear you first because they have much better hearing. I mean, they have great sight, don't get me wrong. But I think uh, you accidentally moving to the right and your gun barrel taps the side of your stand and makes that yep. gunshot loud twing oh, yep. sound the side of your stand. The they just heard you from yep. a mile away. You immediately start <laughs> crying. And it's and that's one of the things about sight is people say, oh, deer have no natural um, airborne predators, so they don't look up. And it's like, how many times have you been in a deer stand? Because... I, I've seen many a deer look up straight at me in my eyeballs and then take off. They they definitely look up. Yeah, but, the cell phone video from this year of a little. I think they play buff. off of three of their sense, like three of their senses at the same time. Yeah, where if they smell something, they're looking for it, or they are listening for it. If they see something, they're listening and smelling for it. And if they put two of those three senses together, th- three of their senses together, that's when they take off. So they smell something, then they hear something, they're gone. Yep. If they see something, they hear something, they're gone. Like they'll investigate for a minute if they only got one. But if they're going two out of three, they're, they're out of there. And so in the signal community for finding uh, like how they trace cell phone towers to find out where a cell phone tower, it's called a line of bearing. And if you get one, you can do a line of bearing and say, okay, at this, at, so to my right, you know, use a compass 300 degrees to my to my right. In that line, there is a cell phone tower. Now, if we go 100 yards further and do another one, you get another um, line and get another lob, line of bearing, and then you can say, okay, at this intersecting point, but if you get three of them, you can pinpoint within you know, feet of where the cell phone tower is. And animals work the exact same way. Their nose will tell them something's coming from the right, and I used to work as a meat processor, so I'm very familiar with the the hairs on the inside of an ear of a deer. They're funneled 
so that they can turn those ears and point them in the direction of something that they smell. And when they turn those ears, that those hairs will funnel sound into it. So now that's their second line of bearing and they're looking. And if they see you, that's their third thing and it's, and it's over. And I've been saying that forever, that those are the three things. It's, it's definitely going to be smell, um, hearing, and sight. So t- to summarize this segment, if they see you, they've already heard you, and they definitely smell you. So at the point of them looking at you, game over. If the, you can find a way for them not to see you, you're in good shape. If you can find a way for them not to hear you, which is those quiet zippers and the pouches that don't have Velcro and, and not moving a lot and clothing that's quiet, you're in good shape. Um, and then thirdly, scent. So taking care of your scent is is important, but I think it's not as important as being seen or or being heard. I agree. Yeah. No, I, I think it makes perfect sense. As long as you're covering your bases somewhat with all three, I mean, as long as you're not, you know, smoking cigarettes in your tower, you're, you're okay. <laughs> you know? as long as you're taking- I only smoke during deer season. I sit in my tower and smoke cigarettes all the time. Do you really? No, I'm joking. I, 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 have I, don't, a, I don't smoke. I, I know, quit smoking years ago. I know someone that smokes cigarettes the entire time he sits in a stand and he kills deer every year i don't get it i don't know how yeah that's my that's exactly what i say for him yep yeah good for him you know it's like whatever man you know he's also sitting in a you know he also buys a tower a a ladder stand and adds extra rungs to it it's 30 foot in the tree and he's hunting with a you know a 270 i was gonna say please don't say a 65 creep more no (laughs) (laughs) a 270 or whatever you know big old lock on seven millimeter The 6.5 is the CrossFit of the hunting industry. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So we nailed down maps. We, ma- we nailed down scouting. We nailed down when you get out of the truck. We talked about scent. We talked about uh, being heard, being quiet. We're not going to get into stand location because that varies um, based on location. And there's no point in making a general rule over it. But are there any other rules that you would add for whitetail hunting or filming? Um, that we haven't discussed patience a whole lot of patience yes, sir. That, that doesn't just mean sitting there and being patient the whole time you got to be patient when the deer walks out too many guys get jumpy and just pull that trigger right away or they start getting the shakes and they don't breathe and they forget every little piece of their hunting background ever when they see a deer come out and you know they jump the gun and they don't wait because if you got a deer to come that close to you for a shot more than likely he might get closer and you got to wait. You yep. got to see where he's going to go. If it looks like he's going away, then you got to make the call. But Especially if, if he's eating. The second, if he's putting his head down and eating, don't move while his head's up and he's chewing. Wait till he put, or she, wait till, wait till the deer puts their head down. Cause when they put their head down, they're looking at what they're chewing on. That's when you move. And, and it may take, if you're sitting in a stand with a rifle in your lap, you, you probably already screwed up. But if you have to move the rifle from your lap to your shoulder, or you have to take your bow off the hanger into your arm, the moment to do that is when they bend, as soon as they bend down and their mouth opens, that's when you make one move and then you stop. They stand up and they chew. They go down for a second. You make a second move, maybe pull the, the bow off the stand. And then you're going to need another third chew before you clip in and actually draw back. Like you can't, you can't rush these things. They have to be patient. Um, and same thing with photography. If, if you're, if you're changing settings and you, say you have to change a lens which would be terrible. But <laughs> if a buck, you know, a massive buck, you have to get on film. He walks in and you got that giant ass lens on there. 
you know, you're going to have to dip down a little bit and change out that lens. Oh yeah. That's, that's difficult. Most of the time I'll, I'll just make the call not to do it and call it a wash. Cause I don't want to spook them off. Yeah. You pull a cell phone out. Yeah. <clears throat> so we have, we started off, we talked about photography. We've talked about, um, you know, hunting and, and just whitetail in general. Um, we're, we're, I think we've hit a little over an hour and a half. So we'll kind of, bring it full circle here. Um, and I just want to ask, you know, for those who have maybe followed along and are, are listening, um, to this podcast and are familiar with your work, either just from, uh, you know, being a fan of yours already, or maybe they've seen your stuff on our, uh, that we've posted on our page. Um, and they're interested in wildlife photography. What sort of advice would you have for someone who is maybe has a little time behind a camera, maybe none, uh, but, but they want to do that. Like, what would you recommend, uh, as a, maybe a, a good camera or type of camera to start with? And maybe if not a camera, maybe just a good, uh, a good place to start in terms of resources to, to learn what it is that they, they need to start making those decisions for themselves about how they want to go about doing their, the photography for themselves and, and what style they may like and, and that kind of thing. What kind of, what kind of advice would you have for someone wanting to get started? Well, the best advice really is so far you could buy thousands of dollars worth of camera equipment. You could buy the most expensive camera out there at the most professional grade thing. If you had unlimited budget, you buy whatever you want. doesn't mean you're going to take a good photograph. Right. Uh, I've always lived by the mentality that the best camera you could ever have is the one in your hands. Right. Yep. Fundamentals all around. When I first started taking real pictures of wildlife, it was with the Nikon D3500, which is a $600 entry-level DSLR from Nikon. It's not a bad camera. It's good. Sure. It takes good photos. But, I mean, some of the photos I took a long time ago with it were god-awful. I thought they were good at the time because everyone thinks their pictures are good at the time. And then you look back on them and you go, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> you know. But I learned over time that even that little tiny, you know, entry level bottom feeder camera can be the best thing ever if you learn your equipment and learn how to use it. Sure. And then you can upgrade to the more stuff that, you know, because if you buy something just for the sake of this is the most expensive one, it's rated as the best one, I'm going to buy it, you're going to be overwhelmed because you're not going to know what the hell you're doing with it. Yeah. It's the same as any kind of a piece of equipment. I mean, I could, I could tell you to you know, hop into a flight simulator and learn how to fly. And you'd be like, all right, you'd be fine with it. They'll put you in a helicopter and told you, hey, take it up. <laughs> you'd be like, oh, no, right. what? <laughs> yeah. It's the same mentality. You got to start small if you don't know your way behind a camera, don't know the fundamentals of photography, and don't know what the settings actually mean. You know, you, you right. learn how to do it like any equipment later on. But if you don't know what you're changing and what it does to the photo you're taking, sure. then you got to go back to your basics. Yep. I, I think that's good advice. I think it, it, I think it holds true in everything from uh, photography, as you mentioned, to, um, if we're going to stay on the theme of, of hunting, um, you know, marksmanship, whether it's with a rifle or with archery equipment, those, those fundamentals you know, are, are everything. If, and I think most people, hunters, if you're just getting started, um, the fundamentals are what you should be focusing on for probably the first five to 10 years of of your hunting is sit being quiet, good marksmanship. Um, those fundamentals are everything. And, and as you said, for photography, it's the, it's the same way. I think, I think it's great advice. Um, you have to enjoy it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's really comes down to it. If you don't enjoy it while you're doing it, you know, if you have to really love it to do it, because yeah. there'll be a lot of waiting around. <laughs> What's the point if you don't like it? You have to like it. Yeah, and well, a lot of the stuff is things people don't even realize that they will like. Yep. And, and get out and do when it. you enjoy something, it makes the hard parts uh, that much easier to accept. Um, I think I think Matt and I have learned that through some of our our business ventures that we figured out what we like, what we don't like. Um, but the fact that what we do now with with this company um, is fun and we enjoy it, uh, it makes some of the the less fun things that we've been dealing with, um, you know, in the last however long. <laughs> Um, not so hard to deal with because, because it is just enjoyable. It's fun. You, you know, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. A ton. And you and guys are doing a great job too. Oh, we appreciate well, it. Thank you. Seriously. Awesome stuff. I mean, I've been following you guys for a while and keeping up with your stuff and, you know, just started listening to some of the back podcasts that you had and going through some of the older stuff that you had. You, you got, a, you got a good thing going on. You have a nice, a nice way that you're marketing yourselves and you guys are real about it. And, I mean, hands down, you got awesome products. I know I, I have them in the house, and that's some cool stuff. It's not like, uh, you know, the cheap stuff you could buy somewhere else where, you know, it'll fall apart in a day. That little smoking block, that thing is awesome. I love it. Let me tell you something. And you're hired. <laughs> that smoking block, for anyone that's that's curious about the durability of it, um, as I've gotten older, I have gotten a good good control over my temper. But with that being said, there are times where when I'm, working in 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 the shop and I'm working on a piece and the router gets away from me or something doesn't go quite right I've been known to throw a chunk of wood across the garage a time or two not one time has what have one of those blocks broken but I have several dents in yeah. my in my garage wall yeah <laughs> and in the uh in the pegboard that holds some of my tools um I'm not proud of it but if you're curious about the durability, uh, that American oak is very strong. <laughs> we get asked a lot the the life expectancy of those blocks, and it's and it's and I and I'll send people. I have a picture of of the one that the first one we ever made is the one that sits on my bar. It's the one I make all of our videos with. And if you watch the videos and pictures, time goes on, you can kind of see there's a divot um, being developed in that block. And uh, I'll send people a picture of a spoon that shows like. Yours, if you put a spoon on it, sits flat. This one, every picture, every video, friends over, company over, classes we teach, whatever we're doing, I use the same block. I mean, and it's been several, like months, lots of months, probably close to, I don't know how long it's been, but it still creates fantastic cocktails. It lasts forever. And um, we could easily come up with a story as to why you need to replace it every so often and yeah, get ourselves more business. We uh, but that's not honest. It's not who we are. The truth is that block will last you either until you burn a hole through it or until you think that the, the flavor of the smoke has changed for whatever reason and you want another one. And it won't. The soak line, anyone that has one, you can look on the side of the block and you'll see this like tan line that runs through it. And what that is, it's called the soak line. That's how deep the whiskey soaks into the wood while it's sitting in a barrel. But this was kind of to, we love saying the phrase and I'm going to say it again, but I'm going to restart so it doesn't sound like I plan to say it. We love saying this stuff. And, and the reason that I brought it up was to circle back into the fact that we are trying to be a true and honest company. There are people that have reached out to us and asked us to to kind of do some of their stuff and, and we're just not going to do it. So we could take a whiskey sponsor. It would be easy. I could easily 
pull one of the emails out or, or reach out and get just some no-name company and be like, this is the whiskey you should be drinking and then get paid for advertising. We choose not to. We, we, we say this episode isn't sponsored by because it's not. We're not sponsored. This episode is powered by whatever we're drinking, whatever we think is good. I kind of like this weeded bourbon, but I'm be honest with you, there's other things I'd rather drink. Yep. But I'm not gonna. We're not gonna tag this company into anything. So the fact that we've tagged on to Dom and we've tagged on to like we keep posting his stuff, it's clearly something we believe in. Dom's not paying us anything. If anything, we've been given Dom stuff. <laughs> if anything, your your uh, your endorsement of us was kind of free, and you know, just as it is. But you've gotten us a lot of business as well. I mean. It's a community. We're working together. That's the um, word. We just filled a huge order for you, you know, yeah. like five days ago. You know, you're helping us. We're helping you. You're you're giving into the charities that we work with. You sent us a, a badass, huge picture. And I know how much these pictures cost um, to get framed, to get shipped and everything else. And um, and that's all we're trying to do, man. We're trying to be community. We're trying to have fun with people. We're trying to have an honest podcast where we talk about stuff and teach people things. And that was one of the reasons we wanted to have you on because – we could talk all day about whiskey stuff. We could talk all day about whitetail stuff. But to have a photographer on um, that specifically films and takes pictures of whitetail deer, you know more than we do about being quiet, not being seen. Um, you've taken more pictures of deer that you've taken pictures of deer that I would have probably shot, you know? Oh, and I probably would have shot them too. When I was <laughs> <Right. laughs> but that's why I wanted to have you on here. And so, kind of to wrap it up, is there anything that. Like, go ahead and give everybody your website. Um, tell them everything that you offer for sale. Use this remaining moments to uh, to pitch anything you want to pitch. If you've got a favorite quote, if you've got a favorite hunting story, there's no time limit. Anything that you want to say to close this out, um, now is the time. All right, cool. I got one hunting story, and then I'll pitch. Excellent. So the one hunting story is the first time I ever went out to Nebraska. It was the first time I ever hunted outside of New York. Remember how we talked earlier about New York deer being small. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I was young, and that was the biggest deer I ever saw were New York deer. So we get out there. We meet some guys out there who are going to help us out, uh, guide us a little bit. And they tell us, you know, you can't shoot anything that's under a certain range. And I'm looking at him like he has three heads. I'm like, well, what, what does that mean? What, what, how big is big? So he shows me some, um, some Euro mounts on the wall. He goes, uh, something like this. So he holds up, you know, a pretty big rack. And I'm like, all right. He goes, anything smaller than this, don't shoot it. I'm like, all right, no problem. So I got to the stand early in the morning. The sun finally comes up. I'm sitting there waiting. A buck walks out. I'm talking, this is rifle season. This buck is maybe 20 yards from me. This is a dead deer. All right. And I'm looking <laughs> at him like, he looks big. I'm like, he's bigger than the deer in New York. I know that for a fact. But I'm like, he's a 10 pointer. Looks big. It's a nice looking deer, but I don't want to shoot it. Cause I'm like, what if I'm wrong? What if I just knock that deer? I'm like, hey, look at this deer I got. And they're like, ah, oh, dude, what'd you do? So I didn't want to be that guy. So I pass. About an hour goes by, another buck comes out. Another 10 pointer. And I'm looking at him going, oh, damn, you're a lot smaller. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> going back to the uh, the lodge afterwards that day. And I told them what I saw. They're like, what do you look like? Do you, could you remember what he looked like? I'm like, yes. Yeah. So they start running trail cams and flashing through pictures of the area. I go, yeah, it was that one. They're like, you passed on that. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> Apparently that was the one they were tracking for like the entire season waiting to kill it. It was like the biggest buck they had. Oh, no. And I passed on because I was uh, young and stupid and didn't know any better. No, yeah. you made a good choice. We we talked to pro hunters that they go out and 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 I'm not going to say the name of the place, but they're like, we're going to bring you out here for free because you have a lot of Instagram followers and we want you to promote us. But if you kill anything under a 160 
or what's that? Was it one thirty? It's one thirty, I think. Yeah, you kill anything under a one thirty, it was a hundred dollars per inch. Ooh, so, yeah. so if you kill a one fifteen, that's fifteen hundred bucks you owe us. And so they end up not killing anything because, like the like, who the fuck can look at a buck and be like, "Yep, that's a one twenty eight. I'm not going to shoot." Oh, that's definitely a one thirty or one thirty one. Nobody can look at it that like. Now you can tell the difference between a one twenty and one forty all day long, but yeah, you know, yeah, I don't think you made a wrong decision. It's a life lesson, but you learn. But now you know what that buck looks like next time you go, and you have a great story. Yeah, and you got a great story. <laughs> so what's um. Give everybody your, your social media, your website, all that good stuff. Okay. My social media on Instagram and TikTok, since we talked about that, is at dom.iwc. Uh, that's where you can find me. Um, my website is www.domgattophoto.com. And on those, you'll find a couple of things I offer. I got prints uh, you can get for – you can just buy regular fine art print. All my prints are done on museum-grade paper uh last year for i think the shelf life form is up to 200 years and they're maybe like the highest quality pigments that way it's not like you're buying a regular you know kodak paper print you print out yourself this stuff is made to be pieces of art on your wall for a long time i also do them in frames do them acrylic canvas uh you know wood frame gallery frames standouts anything you can think of i can print it so folks Listening, you can hand these things down to your kids. They can hand them down to their kids. These are generational things. Do you offer anti-glare glass? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't have anti-glare glass. We need to. Uh, it, it got canceled. It got canceled this year. But when it comes back around, we need to. Uh, if there's anything we can do to help get him uh, in seaweed next year, the Southeastern Wildlife yeah. Expo, they have a. Um, it's like a week long thing, and one of the things that they do is a. Uh, it's like a one or two night thing, and it's uh, it's all it's a black tie. Um, it's tuxedo, tuxedo. <laughs> um, it, but it's an it's a gallery thing where you set up as a photographer. You would set up a um, a booth, and people come through with large checkbooks and spend a lot of money on art and photography and things for their homes. Um, oh, very cool. We have yeah, we we know some folks that have spent um, a pretty penny there. And the amount of money they spend is chump change compared to what other folks spend. And I'm talking thousands and thousands of dollars. So, um, yeah. And I have a painting on my wall from seaweed from 1986, which back then it was, it had still been around forever. So this is, it's been around a long damn time, but, uh, it's a big deal. We should definitely remind us of that. Um, we're too late now. It's our, I think well, it, it actually got canceled, already, it got oh, it canceled, canceled this year because of COVID. It's in February. So the one on my wall is February 14, 15, 16, 1986. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you should definitely, well, um, if, if you're interested in that, well, I don't mind doing the research and oh, figure out a way awesome. to get you in it. Yeah. That'd be cool. It'd be, really cool. It'd be cool to have you down here. February timeframe would be, uh, wouldn't be much hunting to do. Maybe do some fishing. Um, yeah, we can do some fishing. So, and I got a, I, I might, I might have a room you can crash in if it's not weird. <laughs> hey, you got a couch. I'm good. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thank you so much for your time and for hopping on with us. And, uh, congratulations on that, on the baby coming in and the new addition thank of the you. family thank to you. you. And, um, yeah, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to do this again. This was a good time. So appreciate it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anytime you guys want to have me, I'm more than ready to come on. It's going to be, it was a really fun time. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, that wraps it up, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, joining us, Don. We had a great time, good conversation, and we have an episode two coming out probably eventually to cover um, what you've learned in the field over our topics of discussion. Yep, sounds good. Until next time, folks, thanks. Take it easy. Take it easy.